Jamie! Jamie, over here! No, over here! Ian, Ian, I can't... Are you over... Where are you? Are you over there? I can't hear you over the sound of these sound effects. Look, I thought we would record outside. And I'm not going to do that. Have you been in Scotland at all recently? It's very, very windy actually outside, so I thought I'd make these wind sound effects in the studio. That's a great idea, because then we can actually make it sound like we're outside and not actually be outside, thus being warm and cosy for the pair of us. So, uh, why are we shouting? I mean, you started it. I was just joining in. That's a very, very fair point. Uh, uh, I I did start it, and I'm Ian McAllister. And I'm Jamie Adams, and I'm led too easily. And this is Brainwaves episode 87, bringing you the best in tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week of the 29th of November, 2021. Make war, not hate. The worst thing about HeroQuest is... And gotta fake them all. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. At a recent Warhammer tournament in Spain, an issue arose with the clothing of one of the participants. Now I'm going to read from the statement by the club that ran the tournament. During the second day of the tournament, one of the participants showed up wearing clothes with Nazi symbols. One of his opponents refused to play against him and demanded that we expel him from the tournament. Two members of the organisation, one of them a lawyer by profession, met alone with the player in Nazi clothing, exposing him the situation and our dissatisfaction with him showing the symbolism in the tournament. This individual replied that he had no problem in playing against anyone and that he'd behaved correctly throughout the tournament but if we wanted to expel him, he would call the police himself. At this point, we want to emphasise that in Spain, it is not a crime to display Nazi symbols as long as it is not accompanied by criminal conduct. And I want to emphasise that we do not believe that the law is fair or correct, but that's how it is written. Instead, if the organisation expels to this person for his deplorable ideas... Nazism, it is the organisation that is committing a crime of ideological discrimination and it could perfectly denounce us and would have the law on its side. At that moment, we find ourselves tied hand and foot. It's worth knowing that that uh, quote is translation from Spanish, so it might have sounded a little odd in places. In response to this incident, Games Workshop put out a press release entitled The Imperium is Driven by Hate. Warhammer is not. This statement opens with... There are no goodies in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. None. Especially not the Imperium of Man. It goes on to say... The Imperium of Man stands as a cautionary tale of what could happen should the very worst of humanity's lust for power and extreme unyielding xenophobia set in. Like so many aspects of Warhammer 40,000, the Imperium of Man is satirical. For clarity, satire is the use of humour, irony or exaggeration displaying people's vices or a system's flaws for scorn, derision and ridicule. Something doesn't have to be wacky or laugh out loud funny to be satire. The derision is in the setting's amplification of a tyrannical genocidal regime turned up to 11. The Imperium is not an aspirational state outside of the in-universe perspectives of those who are slaves to its systems. It's a monstrous civilization, and its monstrousness is plain for all to see. That said, certain real-world hate groups and adherents of historical ideologies better left in the past sometimes seek to claim intellectual properties for their own enjoyment and to co-opt them for their own agendas. And that? If you come to a Games Workshop event or store and behave to the contrary, including wearing the symbols of real-world hate groups, you'll be asked to leave. We won't let you participate. We don't want your money. We don't want you in the Warhammer community. The statement goes on to offer support in running events. Now, first off, I'd like to say, 
great press statement from Games Workshop, I think. A quick response as well, and very damning. However, Games Workshop has spent the last decade or so showing the public, the Space Marines, as the main characters and saying, look at them, they're the heroes, they're the guys you all want to be like. And yes, you go, well, they're the ones that are easiest to paint. They're the ones that, you know, will draw the most money because there's cool stuff about them. And, you know, I'm not going to disagree. There is cool stuff about them. However, they have been pushing the, shall we say, fash tendencies a little strongly. Yeah, I mean, when I first started playing Warhammer on 40k... Uh-oh, uh-oh, rose-tinted goggles are on. A long time ago. I mean, no, absolutely not rose-tinted goggles. There was some of that satire. There was the fact that it was kind of ridiculous how how over the top and how how over the top the sort of fascist tendencies of the characters and and the factions within that universe were portrayed and it was obvious that it was satire and i think games workshop has lost sight of that a bit over the last like decade or two as you were saying jamie as it's become more mainstream hobby as the company has grown as it's looked to attract new players it has sort of pointed at the space marines and said hey look they're basically the good guys not quite but kind of close all all the tv series all the films and that sort of thing that that stuff that's coming out that's all quite focused on space marines as main characters as the protagonists but there is that holy that holy warrior thing that is very the idea of the paladins you know there's a reason they're still a dungeons and dragons class that the idea of the holy warrior is 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 aspirational it's something it's a bulwark of strength and devotion and power however you gotta remember this is a hyper fascist theocracy or yeah. necrocracy almost. Well, it is a necrocracy. I, th- I think that doesn't come through as much as it used to, and it would be good to see Games Workshop making a bit more of that. And and if they want to say it is a satire, they need to lean into that a little bit more and make that I think that make that a little bit more obvious through their through their fiction, through their sort of flavor text and that kind of thing in in their products. So yeah, I I agree with Jamie. It's a great show statement from games workshop it they were fast to react to it they were fast to say we don't want this in our hobby they do need to do a bit more in terms of actually portraying that kind of sensibility within their own universes and making sure it's obvious that it's satire now ian i've made this joke a number of times and i'll be honest i still you know at least at least smirk at it the worst thing about hero quest is Yes, Jamie, the worst thing about HeroQuest comes from a post from the Outpost game shop in Sheffield that they put on their Facebook page on the 18th of November. It was in regards to the recent release of HeroQuest and pre-orders for that game that has been funded through Hasbro's Pulse system and is coming to retail in the not-too-distant future. According to their Facebook post, Asmodee has raised the price on the pre-order by 20% after taking their pre-orders, which Asmodee has said was an internal price error on Asmodee's part. Outpost said that there has been no compromise on this unexpected price rise, despite their discussions with Asmodee, the distributor for HeroQuest in the UK. Now, price changes happen all the time in retail, but the unfortunate thing here is that the RRP of HeroQuest has not changed in response to the price to the retailer which means that the retailer is going to make much less profit off HeroQuest. 
This has led the outpost to say, the option available to us is to decrease the discount we can offer on the box and expansions moving forward. This has affected all stores across the UK and put us in a position where offering any discount on new orders for any hero quest is not currently a viable option, especially when offering free shipping. As of recording, we have not been able to verify if this has hit all stores across the UK, but if you are listening and you own a board game shop or know someone who does and know about the situation, then please do get in touch. We don't want to pass any additional charges onto our customers, and where we make a pricing error, we honour the lower price. However, in this case, the external factors being applied to us may make that impossible. Our hero quest was crowdfunded on Hasbro's own site, Hasbro Pulse, as I said, last autumn, raising $3,721,949, with only the £150 Mythic tier pledge available to UK backers at time. Now, I've worked in retail a very long time. I worked for HMV for a while, and now work for a small bike shop in Edinburgh. I've been a buyer in HMV, and I buy for the bike shop as well, dealing with numerous distributors, uh, right across the UK and sometimes further afield. If I have pre-ordered something at a price, I expect it to stay at that price by the time I get it because that's the deal I have with that B2B supplier. For a B2B supplier like this to raise prices like this and not do anything for the retailer is kind of shocking, to be honest. I've never seen anything like it. Unfortunately, in this case, like if a bike shop, if a if a bike parts distributor did this to me, I'd go elsewhere because I might be able to. In this case, Asmodee has a monopoly on HeroQuest and you can't go elsewhere for it. You must buy it from Asmodee. So these retailers really have no choice. It's kind of a terrible situation. I really feel for them. Jamie, the demand for Pokemon cards has led to madness, nonsense and fakery. Well, it's been like that for a while. I mean, it's Pokemon cards, you know, the last year, how well they've been doing. On the 23rd of November, Yikai Global, a Chinese state-affiliated media outlet, reported that over 7.6 tonnes of counterfeit Pokemon cards had been seized at Shanghai's Pudong Airport bound for the Netherlands. Now, this is one of the biggest fake intellectual property holes in quite a while. Now, a Twitter post we will link to shows the size of the hall, which stands to about eight or nine shipping pallets worth, stacked to the gills with boxes, each containing these fraudulent goods. Now, with demand in the game seeing record levels in the last year or two, it's kind of no surprise that we're seeing counterfeiters kind of step in to fill the gaps the Pokemon company just can't fill. Now, a recent announcement of a digital Pokemon platform, similar to Arena from Magic the Gathering, may see this sort of behaviour become less profitable, although I kind of doubt it. It's still going to still gonna be a lot. But, but Jamie, you've been doing some back-of-the-napkin maths for us. Yeah, I, I saw this and I went, just over 7.6 tonnes. But how many Pokemon cards is that? So go with me on this, please. The average non-shiny Pokemon card weighs on average 1.7 grams and shinies weigh about 1.9 grams. Thank you to Reddit for that, by the way. We'll, we'll say 7.7 tons for, for ease, uh, because it's more. Anyway, which is 7.7 million grams. Now, let's assume for every 60 card deck, there's maybe five shinies in it. Again, let's say the average. 1.9 times 5 is 9.5 grams. 1.7 times 55 is 93.5 grams, which makes, again, on average, 
a deck being 103 grams. Now, 7.7 .7 million divided by 103 gives us 74,757.28 decks. Now, multiply that by the number of cards per deck, 60, gives us an estimate of 4,485,436.89 Pokemon cards. Don't ask what the .89 Pokemon card is, I don't know. Could be a Bidoof, could be a Magikarp. Now, it does look like these also come in display cases wrapped in plastic as well, so there's a bit of weight to consider in there as well. So, so yeah, maybe, we'll knock, maybe, maybe knock a couple of hundred thousand off. Yeah, but that's, so that's, that's why... close to four million, right? That's four million cards? Uh, I'm going to say four, four and a bit million Pokemon cards. That's my, again, this is why I didn't go further than higher maths at school. Okay. This is my assumption. But if that's somewhere about right, I am going to be amazed. I don't think they'll ever say. And if you're a statistician and would like to join the Giant Brain team, then please do write in with your CV. But of course, I've just realized that you know, it's all these boxes that they'd sell and there's going to be cards that you're not going to use. So they have to include cards that, you know, aren't going to be used in the deck. So might, I mean, either half a million, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. It's an amazing thing. Right. Enough of my ridiculous fake maths nonsense. It's not fake maths. It was an attempt at, you know, serious maths. Not really. But on to the rest of the news. Trivial Pursuit, the 1981 Canadian knowledge icon that has frustrated families in their living rooms for years, is coming back but to the visual medium. In 1990, the BBC broadcast 16 episodes uh, of a TV show based on Trivial Pursuit, and then it was revived for two series on what was then known as the Family Channel, now Challenge, a Sky-owned channel all about quizzes and game shows. In America, they also had a 1993 version which ran for 64 episodes, and Trivial Suit America Plays in the late 2000s. There was also a German version, which ran between 1993 and 1994. Entertainment One, the Hasbro-owned media company, will host the show, a collaboration between Hasbro and Levar Burton Entertainment. Hosting the show will be, surprise surprise, Reading Rainbow host and Star Trek The Next Generation's Geordie LaForge, Levar Burton. In an interview, Lever Burton said, Trivial Pursuit is one of the best-known brands in the gaming universe. I am thrilled to have partnered with Hasbro and E1 to bring this beloved game to market as a premium show for television. Yeah, I mean, Trivial Pursuit's been around for a long time. It still sells very well. There's still multiple versions of it. I don't think we've ever covered a Trivial Pursuit version on Brainwaves. I feel like we possibly have. Maybe we have, but we've covered multiple Monopoly and Cluedo versions, but much like Monopoly and Cluedo, there are multiple versions of Trail Pursuit for your particular IP of choice out there still. Well, actually, Ian, <laughs> in episode 47, we did cover the Trivial Pursuit Horror Ultimate Edition. So that's the only time we've covered Trivial Pursuit in, what is this, 87 episodes? Oh, we'll have to do something about that. Yes. Um, also, I didn't realise that Trivial Pursuit only came out in the 80s. Like, if you'd asked yeah. me before I, I wrote this story up, I'd assumed maybe 50s or 60s. I know my mum had uh, an, like, an early version of Trivial Pursuit, and it was Canadian, because she would occasionally play it with us, because, you know, we were young and we'd play it, and a lot of the questions were about hockey. <laughs> 
And oh. even I know, even I know that Wayne Gretzky cannot be the answer to every single Canadian hockey question. Jimmy, you've got a story from the world of pop-up piracy. That's a you, again. This is one that you're 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 having a cup of tea and a biscuit after you wrote that title, didn't you? Quick dram, you know. Yeah. Um, a recent Kickstarter project for some wargaming terrain has been attracting some controversy. The project is by a company called Tabletop Titans for pop-up terrain called Titans Terrain. I'm saying terrain and titans a lot. I know. The terrain folds down flat and is assembled by opening it up like a pop-up book. It's a pretty good idea, I think, but it's one that has some people comparing it to another company's Kickstarter for an almost identical product. In December of 2020, a company called Everything Epic wrapped their Kickstarter campaign for a project called Upzone, which was pop-up terrain. Turns out that Everything Epic had sent Tabletop Titans a sample of their terrain to review for their YouTube channel. Now, we'll read excerpts from an update that Everything Epic posted to the Upzone Kickstarter on November the 18th. Tabletop Titans were one of a very small handful of content creators we contacted, and they expressed excitement and interest in Upzone and requested we send them a sample prototype copy. We then mailed them an early reviewer sample copy of our Cathedral Zone last year while we were running our campaign for Upzone. And since then, we never received our prototype back and never heard anything back from the Tabletop Titans team. We expected to see some competing products released after the success of our Kickstarter for Upzone Pop-Up Terrain, and we welcome it. However, we are shocked and very disappointed that Tabletop Titans have chosen to emulate our product so closely, even name conventions such as their expansion, Cathedral Square, which is extremely similar to our Cathedral Zone, all the while having access to an actual copy of our product before release. While it's impossible to know whether they did start work on their product before our Kickstarter, they most certainly should have disclosed they were working on a very similar product before agreeing to review and promote our product, Upzone, and accept one of our very few costly sample copies, which we overnighted them during our Kickstarter campaign. Now, Tabletop Titans did respond with their own statement, which Ian is going to read. We've been seeing a lot of questions about Titans Train and Upzone, and we wanted to address them as there seems to be some mix-ups. Upzone did contact Tabletop Titans about previewing their product and we did agree to do that. We decided to support their product because we thought it was cool and we wanted to see it succeed. That's it. We had decided to make our own branded terrain around two years ago and looked at many ideas. We were inspired by some old D&D pop-up terrain to explore making our own pop-ups. We tried and created simple prototypes prior to the launch of Upzone. Titans terrain was done as a hobby side project for fun. We worked on it slowly, and we were not very serious about it, or sure we would launch it until very recently. At the time we previewed Upzone, it seemed like a long shot that we would decide to make or sell our own terrain. That is why we didn't make a big deal about disclosing that we had explored this concept. There was no ill intent or desire to compete, we only wanted to help promote Upzone. We previewed Upzone during a live battle report, we said how much we liked it and that people should back it. We then put it on a shelf and didn't think about it again. Our own explorations and pop-ups were different, and we didn't feel compelled to take any ideas from Upzone during our explorations. Remember, this was a creative art project for us, not a plan to take another team's ideas. When we decided we might want to make this for real, we hired contractors who were experts at paper engineering and digital art to make the final product. Neither of these people had ever seen or heard of Upzone, and the product did not factor at all into our design. We'll link to both of the statements uh, in full in the show notes. Now, 
I, I was just re- listening to Jamie read out the statement from Tabletop Titans, and I realized there's a point where they say w- it was impossible to know whether they did start work on their pro- on their product before the Upzone Kickstarter, whether Tabletop Titans are working on their own project. The Tabletop Titans statement specifically says that they were, and they should have disclosed that. Like We've talked before about this is a tricky term and has a bit of a loaded connotation of about ethics in games journalism but if you are an influencer if you're a viewer or a critic or influencer whatever you want to call yourself in the tabletop gaming sphere if you then go into production if you then go and make a product whatever it is there's got to be a really clear delineation between you as a critic or influencer or marketer or whatever and you as a publisher making a thing and here that has gotten extremely murky now it's worth also noting that this slight controversy has not dented the enthusiasm for tabletop titans work the campaign is currently sitting at 159,076 pounds of a 75,162 pound goal that's obviously a translation from dollars yeah influencers becoming creators is really uh, becoming publishers or creators of of products is really super murky territory and you've got to be extremely careful and it doesn't feel like anyone was very careful here problematic Mm. you know who isn't problematic our lovely patrons they're all lovely uh we'd like especially this uh show to give a wee Ian. shout out sorry what haven't done it yet we've got one more thing to do oh sorry there's guitar furniture apologies ian you you stole a march on uh on the running order wait until the listeners hear about that i'm sure you'll be feeling sheep-ish I don't have a good pun. <laughs> oh, it's rocked you to your very core. I know it's stone, but but I, I'm using rock for this. I'm sorry. Klaus Teuber's Catan is a cultural juggernaut in the games industry. It's one of the first hobby games I played, really, at university. Arguably one of the most influential board games of the past 40 years, it has hooked countless fans into the broader board gaming sphere and has been expanding as a brand over the years. Never mind the various board game iterations, we're also getting Catan beer that we've reported on before, Catan cuddly toys, and soon you'll be able to decorate your very own house or flat in Catan. Asmodee, corporate overlords and owners of Catan, have partnered with Just Funky, a company making intellectual property-themed homeware, currently including Dragon Ball Z, Dungeons and Dragons, and Rick and Morty. <laughs> yes, I said Dragon Ball Z, I'm not going to stop. Oh. Coasters... Coasters, glassware, wall art, throw blankets, lamps, tote bags, lanyards, stationery, and more are are planned for a 2022 release. So you'll be able to put hexagons all over your home with a Catan theme. Hey, listen, the fact that, you know, I mean, why not? Catan is... I mean, hexagons are the shape of the future and everybody knows that, right? Uh, I'll take your word for that, mate. Uh, Seriously, if 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 you look at any cyberpunk art, that kind of thing, for games... It always features hexagons or like hexagonal money and things like that. Hexagons are just like the go-to de- go-to shape for like it's futuristic. Woo. Stop saying hexagons so much, Ian. Hexagons. <laughs> oh dear. Sorry, I still can't get over Dragon Ball Z. Like I don't know why I find that so funny. Anyway, Ian, now say the bit you were going to say earlier. 
Also, we, once more, we love our patrons. Yeah. We'd like to give a little shout out to all our patrons. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. And especially our executive producer, Sean Newman from the Game A Lot team and James Naylor from Naylor Games. And we'd especially like to congratulate James this cast as his game Magnate has just hit retail in the UK. And I just got my copy. I kickstarted it myself, kickstarted it with my own money. Um, uh, got that recently and it's a very fine looking game it's a very big game as well i wasn't quite expecting it to be quite as large as it is. we will be producing a review of that sometime in the new year uh if you'd like to can support us you can hook up with our patron we'll put a link to that in the show notes and there's various other ways to support us on the site that we will also link to including it you can buy some lovely merchandise from sir meeple get some t-shirts to support the cast and we get a healthy cut of the profits there and you get a lovely t-shirt Before I start on the final news piece, I would like to extend my congratulations from myself and from the rest of the Giant Brain team, which, to be fair, is just just Ian, to Wingspan and Elizabeth Hargrave for Wingspan, the game that released only a few short years ago, 2019, has sold over a million copies. And that's brilliant. Sadly, not as brilliant as when I first tried to do a take for this and got it wrong and said it was three million copies. Now, that would be amazing. I mean, that, that, that's absolutely brilliant. A game that's brought a load of people into the hobby um, has been sneered at in some circles. But I think it's, yeah, absolutely fine. I haven't played it myself, I'll admit. Jamie has. I was about, I was about but, to say, you were like, oh, yeah, it's really, it's really good. I haven't played it, I mean, but I think it's really good. No, I, I, think, um, I think it's a fantastic thing. It's got, a, it, and I especially like that it's sold out many copies and it's got a very different theme to a lot of games out there. It's not like, it's not setting. about war. It's not like sci-fi fantasy. It's just a nice theme about nature that has sold extremely well, which shows that there's obviously the demand for that kind of game out there, which is absolutely fantastic. And we've seen a lot of games sort of follow suit a bit like with more gentle themes with different themes and that it's really expanded what publishers have gone for in terms of their theming with games which is absolutely fantastic now you could criticize me for using the words cultural juggernaut to describe certain popular board games usually if the word is in like a story nine times out of ten i will have written it uh because usually it's a popular board game like for example the one that i used earlier i believe was trivial pursuit was it or was it Catan? it was one of those two but either way both of them are cultural juggernauts wingspan is a cultural juggernaut i'm talking about cultural juggernauts jamie that's not a bad clue 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 not that's not a bad <laughs> link leave this in ian it's staying in it's podcast podcasting gold i was going to write up you know a, a little bit of flavor for what this is but instead i'm going to read the product description because it's it's just glorious and i'll do it with the voice that sounds in my head whenever i'm looking at this picture this the band and crew are back at hq to record metallica's next album but with all the excitement a key piece of equipment has gone missing as the hours tick by, the group grows more and more eager to begin. They decide to split up and scour the building for any trace of their missing equipment. Find out what piece has gone missing, where it's hiding, and who finds it so the recording session can get back on track. That's right, it's Metallica Cluedo. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. I know, I know, I know you've all been waiting for Metallica Cluedo. You can play as Papa Het, you can play as Duder, Mr. Ripper, Dr. Groove, the Engineer, or Colonel William. That's right. You can, the items that you're looking for are going to be a guitar, a bass, a snare drum, a wah pedal, a microphone, and a computer. And the locations... I couldn't actually find any pictures of them, but it's Metallica HQ, so I assume lots of Metallica theme. I could have, well, I tried to do a Metallica joke that would work here, but I couldn't think of one. Well, while I work on Jamie's performance review, thank you very much for listening. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is to share the podcast and drop us a review and rating on iTunes. Master of you Puppets! Also- <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. You can also follow us on twitter instagram and facebook we're mostly active on twitter these days but the main place you'll find us is our discord we'll put an invite link to that in the show notes where every tuesday after the cast goes out we have a games night and there's a nice friendly bunch of people on there you can come and play games with and chat about the latest board game and tabletop news and various other bits and pieces our website is giantbrain.co.uk and you can email us stories or about anything in the cast at giantbrainuk at gmail.com thank you very much for listening bye bye I was going to do one more and I can't think of one. (laughs)